0: We're finishing up, I know some of y'all are grateful to hear those words, after nine months, we're finishing up today, the book of Joshua. One more sermon, Joshua chapter 24, and uh, man, what a tremendous uh, book it has been. You remember the whole goal of everything is not just to get to the promised land or the spirit-filled life, but it's to stay in the spirit-filled life after you get there. Probably uh, the the number one thing I see as I go in different churches is I see people who've been saved and they know they're saved, they know their salvation's secure, but they're living like there's no use of even living life. They're defeated. Now, Guys, the Lord didn't come and die on Calvary and go through all the crucifixion and be put in a barred tomb and raised on the third day and ascend into heaven so that we could just get by. He said, I've come, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to give you abundant life, life and abundant life. And so that's what we've been gearing on. Uh, Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14, and I know we've read some of this, and you're going to say, well, this is just like last week's sermon. Well, there's a little bit different. In chapter 23 of last week's sermon, Joshua calls all the leaders together. And he gets them together, and he gives them a good sermon and everything, and kind of runs them over the coal. Now in chapter 24, he's calling all of the nation of Israel together. Everybody, come to Shechem. And would you stand please with me in honor of God's holy, inspired, inherent, all-sufficient word. Beginning in verse 14 of Joshua 24. Now, therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, you choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, "'God forbid that we should forsake the Lord "'to serve other gods. "'For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up "'and our fathers out of the land of Egypt "'from the house of bondage, "'which did those great signs in our sight "'and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, "'and among all the people through whom we passed. "'And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, "'even the Amorites which dwelt in the land,' Therefore, will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Choose you this day, Joshua says, whom ye will serve. Father, thank you today how we've been blessed in the music and just the testimonies and a time of praise together. I pray your precious Holy Spirit would have freedom to move in and out of these aisles. Lord, it's not us. We can't do it. God, it's you. It's all you. We're, the, we're, we're simply the branches that's hooked onto the vine. We're asking you to flow through this place today, to change hearts, to, to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus and to restore those who have been downtrodden. Lift us up, and may we lift Jesus up in this room today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In the 13th chapter of the book of Joshua... Chapter 13 verse 1 the bible says now Joshua was old and stricken in years that's chapter 13 we're in chapter 24 says the same thing he's gotten old he's stricken in years and the lord said unto him thou art old and stricken in years and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed Joshua 13:1 And to my surprise and amazement, as much as Joshua had already done the first 90 years of his life, he was 90 in chapter 13, God uses him to do a whole lot more between 90 and 110 than he ever did between birth and 90 years old. Now, I want to just tell you, we we just... Let me tell you what I heard a guy say this week. He said, if you think you're not big enough to make something count, that you're not big enough to really do anything, undoubtedly you've never spent the night in bed with a mosquito. (laughs) Now that's just what the bottom line is right there. I don't care how old you are this morning, God's got something for you to do. And God will continue to bless you, and you can do that until you breathe your last breath. That's exactly what Joshua has done. It came to pass a long time. 23.1 23.1 says, after the work of Joshua in d- dividing up the her- inheritance, the Lord has given rest unto the land, and Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. 110 years old. Now under his direction, the land has been divided up. There's a peace. There's a rest in the land. Their enemies have been conquered. They've divided up their inheritance, and they're at peace with the Lord. And so he calls all of them together, and uh, he says, look, You, all throughout the book of Joshua, be strong, do not fear, be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with thee. All throughout this whole book here, it continually tells that. But in Joshua 23, he said, take good heed, therefore, that you love the Lord your God. Now, that's what the old soldier, I was watching this week, uh, I'm still sleeping in the recliner. Uh, It's not that I'm at odds with my wife, I just have this sling on here. And uh, it's an imaginary sling right now, but it's on. You just don't know it. Uh, But I can't wear it with his coat, too, so it's on. But uh, I was watching 2 o'clock in the morning, flip the TV on, and there is Patton. And I'm thinking, Joshua Patton. Now, Joshua was a little bit more spiritual than Patton. But they had the same goals they had the same they were not going to quit, they were not going to turn back, they were not going to compromise or look behind them. they were going to go forth, go forth. That was a conquering uh, uh, chant sometimes in a in a church, most of us can remember places that great decisions and great commitments have happened and, and made uh, I, I, when you say little country church, I think about the one that I was saved in in Corrigan. I mean, it brings back just a flood of memories. When you think about a tent revival, man, I think about all those times that that under the tent where God moved in and camped out and folks were saved and it was so hot we were wiping sweat, yet it didn't seem to bother anybody. We just kept right on going. Uh, When God called Abram out of the Ur of Chaldees, when he entered the Promised Land, Shechem is the first place he stopped. He stopped there, and God said, I'll bless thee and thy seed. And this is the place where Abraham erected his first altar in Shechem. This is the same place we're at now in Joshua 24, when Jacob, Israel, came back from Padam Aram, and he came to Shechem, and there from Hamer he bought a parcel of ground, and he paid Hamer 100 pieces of silver. And there did Israel, Jacob, build an altar to the Lord. It's the same shepherd, uh, Shechem, that Joseph referred to when he said, You take my bones back to the land of Canaan. It was Shechem that he wanted to be buried at. And if you read the end of this chapter, not only do we have the death of Joshua, but we've got Joseph's bones being buried right here at Shechem again. It was in the Deuteronomic law that Moses said, Mount Gerizim is to be the mount of blessing. Read the promises of God on Mount Gerizim. And then Mount Ebel, you read the curses of God if we disobey the Lord. Gerizim's on one side, Ebel's on the other side of Shechem there. It was in Shechem where Jacob dug a well, Israel. And in the life of the Lord, in the fourth chapter of the book of John, he's sitting there on the side of that well in Shechem when a lady comes up and he gives her the most greatest gospel invitation ever given in the word of God. I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. Living water. It's that same Shechem there. Uh, It's a place that is hallowed and wise gathering of all the tribes there. And he I look at him as maybe some old pilgrim that's that's standing up and he looks back over all the years that's passed and he beckons the young people to come in here close and hear what I've got to say because it was God who led us out of Egypt with Moses. I was standing there beside... J, uh, Joshua was a brick builder down in Goshen and he's standing there. Joshua has seen God part the Red Sea. Joshua has seen manna fall from heaven quail Joshua has seen the rocks give forth water Joshua has seen the army coming and the Red Sea folds up and drowns the entire Egyptian army Joshua's seen all that he's seen how God has taken care of them he was there it was Joshua whom God chose to lead the people over the Jordan into the promised land when Moses is buried somewhere in the land of Moab. It's Joshua that God used his sword to win victory after victory after victory. Now, what does he do? Let me give you three things. We close. Number one, he presses the people to come and make a decision. Now, this is contrary. I was in a meeting Tuesday, and these men were talking about how they've done their invitations. And i never opened my mouth. I just sat there. Because every Baptist church is autonomous. If the preacher wants to wear a, a black leotard and swing from the rafters up here and the church goes for it, then God bless. You know? I mean, every church. Nobody's going to tell this church what to do. And this church not going to tell anybody else what to do. We're autonomous. And they were talking about the invitation that it was just so crude to preach and then expect people to come down the aisle, and I know I turned a little red, and, and they they said we put cards in there, and if they'll fill out a card, we'll send someone over to their house so they can make a decision and not be embarrassed or you know frustrated or anything. And I said mm mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm, mm-hmm. and never opened my mouth till one of them. See, when they ask you, you can go ahead and tell them the truth. Now. Uh, If they don't ask you, you just got to keep your mouth shut. But they finally said, Brother Hunt, what do you do at your church? I said, we have a public invitation. We have this crazy feeling that if you deny the Lord here on earth, he'll deny you in heaven. And I just want to tell you, folks, If you're sitting here this morning, you say, well, I can't, I can't go. If you won't come and stand up for Jesus in front of a crowd that loves Jesus, you're not going to do it out there in that world. I promise you that. I'm telling you, he presses on the people to come and make a decision. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And he presses it. God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. The Lord, he is our God. Now, you would think that's enough. But no, Joshua presses it again. He's a holy God. He's a a jealous God. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, he'll consume you. And the people said the second time, no, Joshua, we will serve the Lord. Wouldn't you think that's enough? (laughs) Joshua comes back and says, y'all are witnesses against yourselves. Mm. When you quit serving the Lord, when you quit walking with the Lord, you're witnesses that you've not chosen the Lord or that you've chosen the Lord. And then he says, put away these strange gods you've got. See, it's never been the devil's idea to wipe out God. It's always been his idea just to add another God to the God. There's only one true God. Now, people can look at different ways, you know, and different things. And they got different uh, uh, sayings, and, and that's their business. But I'm telling you, in the 14th chapter of the book of John, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So you weave all the roads you want to, but if that road doesn't go through Calvary and up through Jesus, you're not going to make it. That's, I mean, I'm just telling you, that's what the Word of God says. Now, he goes on uh, to, to say it's not out of character, for a man of God to get up and give an invitation. We're told that throughout the entire scriptures. Today, there are some of you in this place. The invitation for you is I don't know Jesus. I don't have a personal relationship. I know all about him. Been in church all my life. I know all about him. But I, I couldn't tell you I've ever spoken with Jesus. Well, you need a royal dose of salvation. Because I want to tell you when he comes in, he makes changes. And you'll know he's there. You'll know he's there. Some of you today, you just need to come and say, look, there was a time when I was on fire for Jesus, but I've gotten to be 90 years old, and I'm just kind of wore out, and I'm going to let the young people do it. No, if you're 110, you can do that. That's what Joshua was. He was 110. But God used him more between 90 and 110 than he did between 1 and 90. So don't come up here talking about that. Joshua, come. There's no other way to bring life, joy, liberty, and freedom and blessing apart from the name of Jesus. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So he said, come. He presses them to come. The second thing I see here, though, is he uh, uses his own dedication for an example. He said, you choose today who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's not saying you choose and I'll choose and we'll all get together and down at Wendy's and have a Frosty and all of that. No, 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 no. He said, you choose whoever you want to. But I want to tell you, based on my life, based on my history, based on my calling from God, my house is going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Now, that's a, great, that's a great affirmation there. It does me good to see men stand up and say, look, we're going to serve the Lord. It's going to cost you something. I don't care what it costs. We're going to serve the Lord. I know everybody's theology is like, not like mine, and the older I get. I, you know, I, I've always said for years when I turn 65, I'm going to tell you what I really think. <laughs> I'll be 65 in October. But the closer I've got to that, the more I think God is saying, you better just cool your heels. <laughs> and you better just preach the word. And you better just follow God. I've heard it all my life. Every time we start to do something, somebody says, consider the cost. Well, we've got to consider the cost. I mean, are we going to be able to pay for this? Are we going to be able to do that? You've got to consider the cost. And there is a, a frame in there where you have to do that. But let me tell you, it's just a little secret. This is my theology now. This is Hunnism 401. <laughs> my theology is you better consider the cost before you get saved because it is going to cost you something. Your friends, some of them are going to leave. Some of them are going to say, I don't want anything else to do with you. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose opportunities. There'll be people that you won't be able to go and hang around. But listen, after you're saved, the Bible says that you become dead to yourself and alive to Christ. I have never, in preaching a funeral, never had a man sit up in the casket and say, Preacher, I don't like what you said. You know why? He's dead. He's dead. Now, listen to me, and I'm not being smart aleck. I'm just telling you, if God says, I want you to do this, it's really none of your business what it costs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I'll give you another little thing. He owns the hills that the cattle are on. And if God says, let's do it, then we're, we need to be obedient to do it. Now, you've got to make sure God says do it. You've got to make sure of that. That comes by fasting, and it comes by prayer to find out what God wants. But if God says do it, you better do what God says do. That's what, that's what he's saying here. He uses, there's no Laodicean attitude. I'm not hot. I'm not cold. I'm just in between. Man, you how can a man be in between? I mean, he's either dead or he's alive. He's either saved or he's lost. He's either justified or he's condemned. We're either with God or we're against him. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 12. He that scattereth not with me scattereth abroad. If you're not with the Lord, you're scattering abroad. I didn't say that. That's what Jesus said. That's why unity is so important. We're either on one side or the other. Joshua, this great old soldier, said, I want to tell you, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe there's some zeal there. I believe there's some commitment there. I I think he gathers around him like a garment uh, with zeal and commitment there. and, and, And he says, look, we had days of battle and God was with us. God's the one that did all the fighting. They're sitting here uh, enjoying the inheritance. But really, it's God that's done all the work. Now, I know some of y'all won't agree with that. You think that you've done all these great things for God. But I want to tell you, God's the one been behind all of it. You've done those things, but God has used you to do those things. And we ought to do it for the glory of God. I love that Shamgar sermon. Three points it 's only one verse in the entire Bible about Shamgar he did what he could, he used what he had, and he did it for the glory of the Lord. What a testimony that 's who we 're talking about here with Joshua. you remember <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of things that we 've gone over in Joshua. you remember when uh, they were out chasing uh, uh who was it the Gibeonites and they were out chasing them. And, and, and it looked like it was going to get nightfall. Remember the scripture we've quoted this whole month? we got to work while it's day because the time comes when night comes and no man can work. And Joshua said, Lord, we're not asking for any special thing. We're going to wipe this bunch out. What we need is a little extra time. And you remember what happened? The sun stood still and the moon over Ajalon stood still until Joshua could literally wipe everybody out. You say, reckon God could do that again today? Well, according to the Word of God, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. He openly, unashamedly called for an avowal of commitment to God. That's universal and without exception in the Bible. Openly and publicly, we're to take our stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. God says in Romans, Paul is speaking. He said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, that he lives, he said, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, confession is made. That's a God kind of justification and righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made. And then he skips down about three verses, and he said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Amen. I, I didn't say that. That's what he said. That's Romans. Let me give you the last thing. He pressed them to make a decision. And then he used his own life as an example to the people. And then thirdly, he said, folk, y'all got to make a choice. You got to make a choice. God has empowered us with the power of choice. It's never been any different. It really hasn't. Now, I know, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that think that if you're saved, you were chosen before the foundation of the earth and you have no choice in the matter whatsoever. And now let me, I don't want to muddy the waters, but the Bible teaches that. There are some people that God has preordained to be saved, and that's it, period. That's it. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible also teaches that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There may be some of you in here that you had no choice. God foreordained you to be saved, and you're going to be saved. But every one of us in here have a choice that we can say yes to Jesus Or no to Jesus. It's never been any different. Abel, he chose to confront the wickedness of Cain. He chose to do that. What did it cost him? Cain killed him. It cost him his life. How about the days of Noah? He chose to disassociate himself with wickedness that flooded the whole world. He's by himself 120 years building an ark and preaching. People are laughing and mocking. He chose to do that. He made a choice. The days of Abraham, God called him to leave his idolatrous father in the civilization where he grew up. And he said, you just get up in the morning, go as a stranger to a new land. Where are we going? God didn't say where we're going. We're just going to follow God. And wherever God takes us, that's where we'll go. The decision. Man, I think probably one of the greatest decisions, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure I could do it, But there came a time when Pharaoh said, Moses, we want to make you a governor. You've been educated in the Egyptian schools and colleges. We want you to come and uh, move your way on up and be somebody in Egypt. And the Bible says that Moses chose to rather suffer affliction with his people than to stay in the royalty that he was in. Man. You're talking about a buffet with everything on it. He's giving it all away. I'd rather be in affliction with the people of God and know the Lord my God than I would be over here living in royalty and not be right with God. Wow. I don't know of any greater decision. I think about Samuel. Man, oh, Samuel's a prophet. Saul is a strong king. He's not right with God. And God said... Saul's not going to be my man anymore. I'm taking my hand off him. Samuel, I want you to anoint the next king of Israel. And he went through all of Jesse's boys, strong, handsome. Samuel said, No, no. Do you have anybody else? Well, there's one little old ruddy boy we've got out keeping shepherds, uh, keeping the sheep. They bring him in. And Samuel anoints David with oil. And says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. You know, Saul could have had Samuel wiped out anytime he wanted to. I think about the decision of Daniel. Who purposed in his heart, the Bible says, that he would not eat of the food and all that the world had to offer. But he would choose to just follow God and kept himself for the Lord. I think about John the Baptist when he stood before Herod and by the side of Herodias. And he said, what you're doing, Herod, is wrong. You're living in sin. You've killed your brother and you've married your brother's wife and you're living in sin. It cost him his life. Now, Herod probably just went on and said, oh, well, it is what it is and moved on. That's how most men are. But Herodias never forgot it. And when they're at a drunken party, they, Herod says, Herodias, or to the daughter, what, what do you want? And old Herodias said, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. He chose that, he chose it. Can you imagine as Paul is preaching to King Agrippa and he's pressing in and he's saying, Listen, you've got to make a choice. And you remember what Grypha said, King Grypha said? He said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me. Almost. Any given time, the king could have wiped Paul off the face of the earth. All of us, through every age and every generation, meet that inevitable time of an important answer. What shall I choose to do, and whom shall I choose to serve? It's a personal decision. Hmm. There are many choices in life. Every one of us face those choices. And how I face those choices and what I say determines some things. It determines how I am in this life. It determines how I am in death. It determines how I am at the great judgment bar of Almighty God. And it determines how I am through eternity. What you decide this very day If you decide for Christ, your eternity is going to be settled. His his blood is going to cover your sin. If you decide no, you'll stand alone and you'll be cast out. You know, when a man gives his heart to Christ, (laughs) probably 99 out of 100 decisions he ever made or will make has already been determined. If you will just walk with God and stay in the Word of God, 99 out of 100 times, the decisions we face are already determined. It's very easy to see. God has a way of bestowing power and wisdom in a decision when our hearts are given to Him. I uh, was reading a, uh, a magazine. Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you when I was reading it. Uh... But uh, they had taken a survey <laughs> of over I don't know 12, 1400 people. It wasn't church people, it was just people in households, and it was people who were happy. And in the survey, uh, where the where the mother and the father go to church, uh, th- there was a tremendous increase of happiness. The happiest homes are always the homes where the father and the mother and the couple go to church. But they, they, they did another survey. Now, this is not religious. But the happiest of the happiest couples were the families that go to Sunday school or life group. Can you believe that? These aren't religious people, but these were families that were happy and they were thrilled and they loved each other going to Sunday school. Hmm. You know, statistics have told us many times that in our world today, divorce rate is, is one out of two, maybe even a little higher. It, it fluctuates a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on the year and all of that. But the statistic has still pretty well held true. In Christ, if you're living for Jesus, one out of 500 break up. Then Did you hear what I said? If you're if you're not living for Christ, the divorce rate is one out of one to one. But if you're living for Christ, one out of 500. I want to tell you that ought to be a reason right there that families ought to gather together and love the Lord Jesus Christ right there to protect their family. It's a matter of eternity, a matter of life, a matter of heaven, a matter of judgment, it's a matter of God. I read about a lawyer that was approaching this very uh, prestigious judge. And uh, he walked up to the, to the bench there. And uh, he said, Judge, I hear you and your wife are going to be separated. The judge went berserk, climbed over the bench, grabbed the lawyer by the, by the shirt, by the tie, and said, What are you talking about? I've been married to my wife 53 years. We love each other. We are not separated, and we're not going to be separated. And the lawyer said, oh, I'm sorry, Judge. I heard your wife was a devout Christian, and you were a devout atheist. And if that's true, there's going to come a time when she's going one place and you're going the other. The judge bowed his head and said, my God, I've never thought of it like that. Papa? Grandma? Better make sure your salvation's right with Jesus. Your little grandchildren may end up going to heaven and you're going to be departed. Hmm. Children? I'm just saying. This is not a little game that people play. This is real life. And if you choose Christ, He's given you the power to make that choice. I have it. You have it. To me, it's tremendous to hear an old soldier 110 years old saying, As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a tremendous blessing. I pray this morning that God, through the Holy Spirit, would bear on your shoulder, if you're a young couple and you need to be saved, that this morning you would understand you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd love for you to join this church, a great church. It'll, it'll, it'll minister to you, and there'll be, you can be great for them, and the church can be great for you. But I want to tell you, the most important thing is not joining a church. It's meeting Jesus face-to-face. Amen. Now, if you're here this morning and you've met Jesus face-to-face, next thing you need to do is get in a Bible-believing church. You know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago when I was preaching, we didn't have to say get in a Bible-believing church. We could just say, get in a church. But today, there are many churches that don't believe this Bible is the inerrant word of God. We still do here. And maybe God's saying, hey, I want you to come and be a part. I'm not telling you life is always great. There are always problems. And the devil's going to always be coming to try to create problems. But I'm telling you this. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. And I'm telling you, we can march on. Bear this message, Lord, to the young married people. Bear it to the people who need a church home. And, Lord, would you bear it to those maybe even in this place today that said, I've gotten older and I've I'm, I'm, made a mistake. I've said, let the young people do it. Listen to me, guys. There's enough, young, uh, enough work for the young people, the middle-aged people, the old people. We, if we could get them out of the cemeteries, we could put them to work. There's enough work for everyone to do. God has a plan for everyone. Would you bow your head and pray with me? We get, we're finishing up. I know some of y'all are grateful to hear those words. After nine months, we're finishing up today the book of Joshua. One more sermon, Joshua chapter 24. and uh, Man, what a tremendous uh, book it has been. You remember the whole goal of everything is not just to get to the promised land or the Spirit-filled life, but it's to stay in the Spirit-filled life after you get there. We're finishing up. I know some of y'all are grateful to hear those words. After nine months, we're finishing up today the book of Joshua. One more sermon, Joshua chapter 24. and uh, Man, what a tremendous uh, book it has been. You remember the whole goal of everything is not just to get to the promised land or the Spirit-filled life, but it's to stay in the Spirit-filled life after you get there. Probably uh, the, the number one thing I see as I go in different churches is I see people who've been saved, and they know they're saved, they know their salvation's secure, but they're living like there's no use of even living life. They're defeated. Now, guys, the Lord didn't come and die on Calvary and go through all the crucifixion and be put in a barred tomb and raise on the third day and ascend into heaven so that we could just get by. He said, I've come. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to give you abundant life, life and abundant life. And so that's what we've been gearing on. Uh, Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14 And I know we've read some of this, and you're going to say, well, this is just like last week's sermon. Well, there's a little bit different. In chapter 23 of last week's sermon, Joshua calls all the leaders together, and he gets them together, and he gives them a good sermon and everything and kind of runs them over the coal. Now in chapter 24, he's calling all of the nation of Israel together. Everybody, come to Shechem. And would you stand please with me in honor of God's holy, inspired, inherent, all-sufficient Word. Beginning in verse 14 of Joshua 24. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, you choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Choose you this day, Joshua says, whom ye will serve. Father, thank you today how we've been blessed in the music and just the testimonies and a time of praise together. I pray your precious Holy Spirit would have freedom to move in and out of these aisles, Lord. It's not us; we can't do it, God. It's you. It's all you. We're the we're we're simply the branches that's hooked onto the vine. We're asking you to flow through this place today to change hearts, to to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus, and to restore those who have been downtrodden. Lift us up. And may we lift Jesus up in this room today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In the 13th chapter of the book of Joshua, chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. That's chapter 13. We're in chapter 24, says the same thing. He's gotten old. He's stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed, Joshua 13, 1. And to my surprise and amazement, as much as Joshua had already done the first 90 years of his life, he was 90 in chapter 13, God uses him to do a whole lot more between 90 and 110 than he ever did between birth and 90 years old. Now, I want to just tell you, we, we just, let me tell you what I heard a guy say this week. He said, if you think you're not big enough to make something count, that you're not big enough to really do anything, undoubtedly, you've never spent the night in bed with a mosquito. <laughs> now, that's just what the bottom line is right there. I don't care how old you are this morning, God's got something for you to do. And God will continue to bless you, and you can do that until you breathe your last breath. That's exactly what Joshua has done. It came to pass a long time, 23.1 says, After the work of Joshua in d- dividing up the her- inheritance, the Lord has given rest unto the land, and Joshua waxed old and stricken in age." 110 years old. Now under his direction, the land has been divided up. There's a peace. There's a rest in the land. Their enemies have been conquered. They've divided up their inheritance, and they're at peace with the Lord. And so he calls all of them together. And uh, he says, look, you all throughout the book of Joshua, be strong. Do not fear. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with thee. All throughout this whole book here, it continually tells that. But in Joshua 23, he said, Take good heed, therefore, that you love the Lord your God. Now, that's what the old soldier I was watching this week. Uh, I'm still sleeping in the recliner. Uh, it's not that I'm at odds with my wife. I just have this sling on here. And uh, it's an imaginary sling right now, but it's on. You just don't know it. Uh, but I can't wear it with his coat, too, so it's on. But uh, I was watching 2 o'clock in the morning, flip the TV on, and... There is Patton, and i 'm thinking, Joshua Patton now Joshua was a little bit more spiritual than Patton, <laughs> but they had the same goals they had the same they were not going to quit, they were not going to turn back, they were not going to compromise or look behind them. they were going to go forth, go forth. That was a conquering uh, uh, chant sometimes in a in a church, most of us can remember places that great decisions and great commitments have happened and, and made. Uh, I, I, when you say little country church, I think about the one that I was saved in in Corrigan. I mean, it brings back just a flood of memories. When you think about a tent revival, man, I think about all those times that, that under the tent where God moved in and camped out and folks were saved and it was so hot we were wiping sweat, yet it didn't seem to bother anybody. We just kept right on going. Uh, When God called Abram out of the Ur of Chaldees, when he entered the promised land, Shechem is the first place he stopped. He stopped there, and God said, I'll bless thee and thy seed. And this is the place where Abraham erected his first altar in Shechem. This is the same place we're at now in Joshua 24 when Jacob, Israel, came back from Padam Aram and he came to Shechem and there from Hamer he bought a parcel of ground and he paid Hamer 100 pieces of silver and there did Israel, Jacob, build an altar to the Lord. It's the same shepherd, uh, Shechem that Joseph referred to when he said, you take my bones back to the land of Canaan. It was Shechem that he wanted to be buried at. And if you read the end of this chapter, not only do we have the death of Joshua, but we've got Joseph's bones being buried right here at Shechem again. It was in the Deuteronomic law that Moses said Mount Gerizim is to be the Mount of Blessing. Read the promises of God on Mount Gerizim. And then Mount Ebel, you read the curses of God if we disobey the Lord. Gerizim's on one side, evil's on the other side of Shechem there. It was in Shechem where Jacob dug a well, Israel. And in the life of the Lord, in the fourth chapter of the book of John, he's sitting there on the side of that well in Shechem when a lady comes up, and he gives her the most greatest gospel invitation ever given in the Word of God. I'll give you water, and you'll never thirst again. Living water. It's that same Shechem there. Uh, It's a place that is hallowed and wise, gathering of all the tribes there. And he, I look at him as maybe some old pilgrim that's, that's standing up. And he looks back over all the years that's passed. And he beckons the young people to come in here close and hear what I've got to say. Because it was God who led us out of Egypt with Moses. I was standing there beside. J, uh, Joshua was a brick builder down in Goshen. And he's standing there. Joshua has seen God part the Red Sea. Joshua has seen manna fall from heaven, quail. Joshua has seen the rocks give forth water. Joshua has seen the army coming and the Red Sea folds up and drowns the entire Egyptian army. Joshua's seen all that. He's seen how God has taken care of them. He was there. It was Joshua whom God chose to lead the people over the Jordan into the Promised Land when Moses is buried somewhere in the land of Moab. It's Joshua that God used his sword to win victory after victory after victory. Now, what does he do? Let me give you three things. We close. Number one, he presses the people to come and make a decision. Now, this is contrary. I was in a meeting Tuesday, and these men were talking about how they've done their invitations. And I've never opened my mouth. I just sat there. Because every Baptist church is autonomous. If the preacher wants to wear a, a black leotard and swing from the rafters up here and the church goes for it, then God bless. You know? I mean, every church. Nobody's going to tell this church what to do. And this church not going to tell anybody else what to do. We're autonomous. And they were talking about the invitation that it was just so crude to preach and then expect people to come down the aisle. And I know I turned a little red and, and they, they said, We put cards in there and if they'll fill out a card, we'll send someone over to their house so they can make a decision and not be embarrassed or you know, frustrated or anything. And I said, Mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. And never opened my mouth until one of them. See, when they ask you, you can go ahead and tell them the truth. Now, uh, If they don't ask you, you just got to keep your mouth shut. But they finally said, Brother Hunt, what do you do at your church? I said, we have a public invitation. We have this crazy feeling that if you deny the Lord here on earth, he'll deny you in heaven. And I just want to tell you, folks. If you're sitting here this morning, you say, well, I can't, I can't go. If you won't come and stand up for Jesus in front of a crowd that loves Jesus, you're not going to do it out there in that world. I can promise you that. I'm telling you, he presses on the people to come and make a decision. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And he presses it. God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. The Lord, he is our God. Now, you would think that's enough. But no, Joshua presses it again. He's a holy God. He's a a jealous God. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, he'll consume you. And the people said the second time, no, Joshua, we will serve the Lord. Wouldn't you think that's enough? (laughs) Joshua comes back and says, y'all are witnesses against yourselves. Mm. When you quit serving the Lord, when you quit walking with the Lord, you're witnesses that you've not chosen the Lord or that you've chosen the Lord. And then he says, put away these strange gods you've got. See, it's never been the devil's idea to wipe out God. It's always been his idea just to add another God to the God. There's only one true God. Now, people can look at different ways, you know, and different things. And they got different uh, uh, sayings, and, and that's their business. But I'm telling you, in the 14th chapter of the book of John, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So you weave all the roads you want to, but if that road doesn't go through Calvary and up through Jesus, you're not going to make it. I'm just telling you, that's what the Word of God says. Now, he goes on uh, to, to say it's not out of character, For a man of God to get up and give an invitation. We're told that throughout the entire scriptures. Today, there are some of you in this place. The invitation for you is, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a personal relationship. I know all about him. Been in church all my life. I know all about him. But I I couldn't tell you I've ever spoken with Jesus. Well, you need a royal dose of salvation. Because I want to tell you, when he comes in, he makes changes. And you'll know he's there. You'll know he's there. Some of you today, you just need to come and say, look, there was a time when I was on fire for Jesus, but I've gotten to be 90 years old, and I'm just kind of wore out, and I'm going to let the young people do it. No, if you're 110, you can do that. That's what Joshua was. He was 110. But God used him more between 90 and 110 than he did between 1 and 90. So don't come up here talking about that. Joshua, come. There's no other way to bring life, joy, liberty, and freedom and blessing apart from the name of Jesus. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So he said, come. He presses them to come. The second thing I see here, though, is he uh, uses his own dedication for an example. He said, you choose today who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's not saying you choose and I'll choose and we'll all get together and down at Wendy's and have a Frosty and all of that. No, 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 no. He said, you choose whoever you want to. But I want to tell you, based on my life, based on my history, based on my calling from God, my house is going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Now, that's a, great, that's a great affirmation there. It does me good to see men stand up and say, look, we're going to serve the Lord. It's going to cost you something. I don't care what it costs. We're going to serve the Lord. I know everybody's theology is like, not like mine, and the older I get. I, you know, I, I've always said for years when I turn 65, I'm going to tell you what I really think. <laughs> I'll be 65 in October. But the closer I've got to that, the more I think God is saying, you better just cool your heels. <laughs> and you better just preach the word. And you better just follow God. I've heard it all my life. Every time we start to do something, somebody says, consider the cost. Well, we've got to consider the cost. I mean, are we going to be able to pay for this? Are we going to be able to do this? Got to consider the cost. And there is a a frame in there where you have to do that. But let me tell you, it's just a little secret. This is my theology now. This is Honeyism 401. (laughs) My theology is you better consider the cost before you get saved. Because it is going to cost you something. Your friends, some of them are going to leave. Some of them are going to say, I don't want anything else to do with you. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose opportunities. There'll be people that you won't be able to go and hang around. But listen, after you're saved, the Bible says that you become dead to yourself and alive to Christ. I have never, in preaching a funeral, never had a man sit up in the casket and say, Preacher, I don't like what you said. You know why? He's dead. He's dead. Now, listen to me, and I'm not being smart aleck. I'm just telling you, if God says, I want you to do this, it's really none of your business what it costs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I'll give you another little thing. He owns the hills that the cattle are on. And if God says, let's do it, then we're, we need to be obedient to do it. Now, you've got to make sure God says do it. You've got to make sure of that. That comes by fasting, and it comes by prayer to find out what God wants. But if God says do it, you better do what God says do. That's what, that's what he's saying here. He uses, there's no Laodicean attitude. I'm not hot. I'm not cold. I'm just in between. Man, you, how can a man be in between? I mean, he's either dead or he's alive. He's either saved or he's lost. He's either justified or he's condemned. We're either with God or we're against him. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 12. He that scattereth not with me scattereth abroad. If you're not with the Lord, you're scattering abroad. I didn't say that. That's what Jesus said. That's why unity is so important. We're either on one side or the other. Joshua, this great old soldier, said, I want to tell you, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe there's some zeal there. I believe there's some commitment there. I, I think he gathers around him like a garment uh, with zeal and commitment there. And, and, and he says, Look, we had days of battle, and God was with us. God's the one that did all the fighting. They're sitting here uh, enjoying the inheritance. But really, it's God that's done all the work. Now, I know some of y'all won't agree with that. You think that you've done all these great things for God. But I want to tell you, God's the one been behind all of it. You've done those things, but God has used you to do those things. And we ought to do it for the glory of God. I love that Shamgar Sherman. Three points. It's only one verse in the entire Bible about Shamgar. He did what he could, he used what he had, and he did it for the glory of the Lord. What a testimony. That's who we're talking about here with Joshua. You remember, <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of things that we've gone over in Joshua. You remember when uh, they were out chasing uh, uh, Who was it? the Gibeonites, and they were out chasing them, and, and, and it looked like it was going to get nightfall. Remember the scripture we've quoted this whole month? we got to work while it's day because the time comes when night comes and no man can work. And Joshua said, Lord, we're not asking for any special thing. We're going to wipe this bunch out. What we need is a little extra time. And you remember what happened? The sun stood still and the moon over Agilent stood still until Joshua could literally wipe everybody out. You say, reckon God could do that again today? Well, according to the Word of God, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. He openly, unashamedly called for an avowal of commitment to God. That's universal and without exception in the Bible. Openly and publicly, we're to take our stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. God says in Romans, Paul is speaking. He said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, that he lives, he said, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, confession is made. That's a God kind of justification and righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made. And then he skips down about three verses, and he said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Amen. I, I didn't say that. That's what he said. That's Romans. Let me give you the last thing. He pressed them to make a decision. And then he used his own life as an example to the people. And then thirdly, he said, folk, y'all got to make a choice. You got to make a choice. God has empowered us with the power of choice it's never been any different it really hasn't now i know uh you know there are a lot of people that think that if you're saved you were chosen before the foundation of the earth and you have no choice in the matter whatsoever and now let me i don't want to muddy the waters but the bible teaches that there are some people that God has preordained to be saved, and that's it, period. That's it. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible also teaches that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There may be some of you in here that you had no choice. God foreordained you to be saved, and you're going to be saved. But every one of us in here have a choice that we can say yes to Jesus or no to Jesus it's never been any different Abel he chose to confront the wickedness of Cain he chose to do that what did it cost him Cain killed him it cost him his life how about the days of Noah he chose to disassociate himself with wickedness that flooded the whole world he's by himself 120 years building an ark and preaching people are laughing and mocking he chose to do that he made a choice The days of Abraham, God called him to leave his idolatrous father in the civilization where he grew up. And he said, you just get up in the morning, go as a stranger to a new land. Where are we going? God didn't say where we're going. We're just going to follow God. And wherever God takes us, that's where we'll go. The decision. Man, I think probably one of the greatest decisions, and I'm I'm not sure I could do it. But there came a time when Pharaoh said, Moses, we want to make you a governor. You've been educated in the Egyptian schools and colleges. We want you to come and uh, move your way on up and be somebody in Egypt. And the Bible says that Moses chose to rather suffer affliction with his people than to stay in the royalty that he was in. Man. You're talking about a buffet with everything on it. He's giving it all away. I'd rather be in affliction with the people of God and know the Lord my God than I would be over here living in royalty and not be right with God. Wow. I don't know of any greater decision. I think about Samuel. Man, oh, Samuel's a prophet. Saul is a strong king. He's not right with God. And God said, Saul's not going to be my man anymore. I'm taking my hand off him. Samuel, I want you to anoint the next king of Israel. And he went through all of Jesse's boys, strong, handsome. Samuel said, No, no. Do you have anybody else? Well, there's one little old ruddy boy we've got out keeping shepherds, uh, keeping the sheep. They bring him in. And Samuel anoints David with oil and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. You know, Saul could have had Samuel wiped out any time he wanted to. I think about the decision of Daniel, who purposed in his heart, the Bible says, that he would not eat of the food and all that the world had to offer, but he would choose to just follow God and kept himself for the Lord. I think about John the Baptist when he stood before Herod and by the side of Herodias. And he said, what you're doing, Herod, is wrong. You're living in sin. You've killed your brother and you've married your brother's wife and you're living in sin. It cost him his life. Now, Herod probably just went on and said, oh, well, it is what it is and moved on. That's how most men are. But Herodias never forgot it. And when they're at a drunken party, Herod says, Herodias, to the daughter, "What, what do you want? And old Herodias said, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. He chose that. He chose it. Can you imagine as Paul is preaching to King Agrippa? And he's pressing in. And he's saying, listen, you've got to make a choice. And you remember what Griffith said, King Griffith said? He said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me. Almost. Any given time, the king could have wiped Paul off the face of the earth. All of us, through every age and every generation, meet that inevitable time of an important answer. What shall I choose to do and whom shall I choose to serve? It's a personal decision. Hmm. There are many choices in life. Every one of us face those choices. And how I face those choices and what I say determines some things. It determines how I am in this life. It determines how I am in death. It determines how I am at the great judgment bar of Almighty God. And it determines how I am through eternity. What you decide this very day If you decide for Christ, your eternity is going to be settled. His his blood is going to cover your sin. If you decide no, you'll stand alone and you'll be cast out. You know, when a man gives his heart to Christ, (laughs) probably 99 out of 100 decisions he ever made or will make has already been determined. If he'll just walk with God and stay in the Word of God, 99 out of 100 times, the decisions we face are already determined. It's very easy to see. God has a way of bestowing power and wisdom in a decision when our hearts are given to Him. I uh, was reading a, uh, a magazine. Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you when I was reading it. Uh, but uh, they had taken a survey <laughs> of over I don't know 12, 1400 people, it wasn't church people, it was just people in households, and it was people who were happy. And in the survey, uh, where the where the mother and the father go to church, uh, th- there was a tremendous increase of happiness. The happiest homes are always the homes where the father and the mother and the couple go to church. But they, they, they did another survey. Now, this is not religious. But the happiest of the happiest couples were the families that go to Sunday school or life group. Can you believe that? These aren't religious people, but these were families that were happy and they were thrilled and they loved each other going to Sunday school. Hmm. You know, statistics have told us many times that in our world today, divorce rate is, is one out of two, maybe even a little higher. It, it fluctuates a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on the year and all of that. But the statistic has still pretty well held true. In Christ, if you're living for Jesus, one out of 500 break up. Then Did you hear what I said? If you're, if you're not living for Christ, the divorce rate is one out of one to one. But if you're living for Christ, one out of 500. I want to tell you, that ought to be a reason right there that families ought to gather together and love the Lord Jesus Christ right there, to protect their family. It's a matter of eternity, a matter of life, a matter of heaven, a matter of judgment. It's a matter of God. I read about a lawyer that was approaching this very uh, prestigious judge. And uh, he walked up to the, to the bench there. And uh, he said, Judge, I hear you and your wife are going to be separated. The judge went berserk, climbed over the bench, grabbed the lawyer by the, by the shirt, by the tie, and said, What are you talking about? I've been married to my wife 53 years. We love each other. We are not separated, and we're not going to be separated. And the lawyer said, oh, I'm sorry, Judge. I heard your wife was a devout Christian, and you were a devout atheist. And if that's true, there's going to come a time when she's going one place and you're going the other. The judge bowed his head and said, my God, I've never thought of it like that. Papa, Grandma, better make sure your salvation's right with Jesus. Your little grandchildren may end up going to heaven and you're going to be departed. Hmm. Children, I'm just saying, this is not a little game that people play. This is real life. And if you choose Christ, he's given you the power to make that choice. I have it, you have it. To me, it's tremendous to hear an old soldier 110 years old saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a tremendous blessing. I pray this morning that God, through the Holy Spirit, would bear on your shoulder if you're a young couple and you need to be saved, that this morning you would understand you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd love for you to join this church, a great church. It'll, it'll, it'll minister to you, and they'll be, you can be great for them, and the church can be great for you. But I want to tell you, the most important thing is not joining a church. It's meeting Jesus face-to-face. Amen. Now, if you're here this morning and you've met Jesus face-to-face, next thing you need to do is get in a Bible-believing church. You know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago when I was preaching, we didn't have to say get in a Bible-believing church. We could just say, get in a church. But today, there are many churches that don't believe this Bible is the inerrant Word of God. We still do here. And maybe God's saying, hey, I want you to come and be a part. I'm not telling you life is always great. There are always problems. And the devil's going to always be coming to try to create problems. But I'm telling you this. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. And I'm telling you, we can march on. Bear this message, Lord, to the young married people. Bear it to the people who need a church home. And, Lord, would you bear it to those maybe even in this place today that said, I've gotten older and I've I'm, I'm, made a mistake. I've said, let the young people do it. Listen to me, guys. There's enough uh, enough work for the young people, the middle-aged people, the old people. If we could get them out of the cemeteries, we could put them to work. There's enough work for everyone to do. God has a plan for everyone. Would you bow your head and pray with me? We're finishing up. I know some of y'all are grateful to hear those words. After nine months, we're finishing up today the book of Joshua. One more sermon, Joshua chapter 24, and uh, man, what a tremendous uh, book it has been. You remember the whole goal of everything is not just to get to the promised land or the Spirit-filled life, but it's to stay in the Spirit-filled life after you get there.